Rodney, what's happening today? Dora Milaje. Mm-hmm. So I went to Disney yesterday, mm-hmm. and it was super Disneyland. dope. Disneyland. Black Panther Day. Disneyland. I have not been to World. I, I know it's sacred. Like for people who know Disney. Dora Milaje. Yes. So it was Black Panther Day. So Black Panther was there. I, was, I happened to be wearing a Black Panther shirt. And Ruby had just learned Wakanda Forever like on the she way. She says it really well. She does. It's really good. And then the Dora Milaje put on three, put on a performance. And then like this whole thing. So I learned that Dora Milaje means adored ones. And just really cool, like conversation. And so they were like interacting with the crowd. This little white kid came up with his mom and like she taught him like a fight sequence. And then he did like a Wakanda Forever. And like, I just had this moment of like, I really enjoy everything Black Panther. But I had this moment of like, man, this is really cool. Like all these white people and other people, but all these white people are like listening to this black woman talk about her warrior culture that is rooted in heart and compassion. And protecting, you know, their their you know, the Black Panther, the King, and and talking to them about like how they can do the same thing in their lives and finding their strength. And I was just like, this is really damn cool. Mm. It was a dope moment. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. Welcome back to the More In Common Podcast. I am Keith with my co-host Rodney. Oh, I'm a co-host too. So we're together on this. You are not my co-host. But here we are to talk about compassion. And for today's compassion moment, you know, I just I just want to kind of give everybody a reminder that you compassion can be applied to self. And it's not that you can't apply it to other people. You don't have to do it first before you give it to other people. However, we all have things we struggle with. We all have things that we want to be better at. And what I have found in my personal experience is that once I accept where I am on a spot, where when I accept it and I can tell myself that I love you, honestly and earnestly, and say, and you still need to get your butt up and, and work on it, like this kind of balance, I make more progress in the ways that I want that are important to me. So I just want to remind you that self-compassion is real and it is helpful at least in my life we're gonna get into a really really fun and at moments challenging conversation for me with lisa davis i'm gonna have keith kick it off with what you should listen for i think the overarching thing to listen for is very much the navigation of self-compassion it's all of this stuff even if you're in it isn't easy to talk about it's not you know, you don't always do the right thing. And sometimes it's just hard to give compassion. And we talk about some fun topics to talk to discuss, but at the same time, like that theme of, hey, we all make mistakes, but we can all give each other grace and ourselves some grace is, uh, I think, really resonant in this conversation. And what, what, why should someone listen, though? Yeah, a couple other reasons to listen outside of that. We get into allyship, like one of her podcasts is about allyship. And I think there's a couple of frames that might make it more accessible for people who don't really get why I should be an ally to somebody or does it stop at black and white relations or start there? Where else can it be applied? Talk about parenting, which actually is kind of some of the bleed into allyship. And we talk about sex positivity and 
those are the, some of the big things you'll, you'll get out of this. So I want to say, I'll just say it here, you can find Lisa at Lisa Davis, MPH, that's Michael Peter Harris.com. And you can also find Keith and I at more in common ENT.com for all things more in common. And before we go, this is an appeal. We hear a lot. Like, I wish there was more positivity in my feed. Miss more positive stuff in my phone that comes to me so I don't have to search for it. Well, one way to do that, if you think what we're doing is a positive influence on your life, is to like it, it's to comment, it's to share it so that it promotes us. And then we are promoted in other people's feeds and ultimately spread this word of compassion in a more deliberate and intentional way. So check it out. And I hope you really like this show. I think there's too many like performative allies. And I know some people don't like the word allyship. They prefer co-conspirator. There's a couple others I don't remember. And I was talking with Sunny, like, should we change the name of the show? She's like, no. If they listen to the show, they get what we're trying to say, right? It doesn't matter what word we use. But some people get turned off, they get hung up on the word. Well, listen to what we're talking about. We're talking about equity. We're talking about equality. We're talking about ending racism. We're talking about social justice. We're talking about getting these health disparities, housing disparities. I mean, there's so much going on. If you want to get a hung up on allyship, we're just trying to say, be a human, like be a human person. Today, we are with Lisa Davis, MPH. Lisa has two decades of experience as a health educator and a broadcaster. She has a master's degree in public health, is creator, host, and producer of the syndicated It's Your Health Radio, heard on regional NPR, as well as host producer of Talk Health Today, brought to you by Pocket Media of Clean Eating, Vegetarian Times, Better Nutrition, Muscle and Performance, yoga journal magazines she is host producer of naturally savvy radio heard online on radio md iheart radio talk tune in stitcher itunes uber radio and talk stream live lisa is also the co-creator and co-host of the podcast active allyship it's more than a hashtag in addition to developing radio shows, if it doesn't seem like enough, Lisa has created, produced, and hosted health television shows. Her first show, Health Power, was seen on KRUZ-TV in California. She was also a regular contributor at Carol Alt's national health TV show on Fox News Channel, A Healthy You. She has also authored her books, Clean Eating, Dirty Sex, Central Superfoods and Aphrodisiac Practices for Ultimate Sexual Health, and easy to love, but hard to live with, real people, invisible disabilities, true stories. Her core passion is helping people find their why to enable them to live their healthiest life. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm I, super excited. I've been looking forward to this. It's been a long time As coming. I know, right? Yeah. Good old Clubhouse Connect. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Well, we kick off every show reverting back to our rapid fire, specifically tip to navigating difficult conversations since we're all about compassionate conversation. Listening, we talk about listening a lot and you say active listening. What is active listening to you? Active listening to me is where you 
sort of say back what you're hearing the person saying. So they're saying, I'm feeling really unheard right now. I'm feeling like you're not paying attention. I feel like, could you put your, you're looking at your device. And I think if let them, they might say, well, yeah, you know, you, I feel like you're just not here. And you can say, well, I hear that you feel that way. And I understand. And I had, maybe there was a reason, like there was an emergency, I'd look at my phone or I had, you know, I'm going to try to do better or just sort of acknowledging what they're talking about is really important. And I think most people from emergencies are just glued to their phones, but <laughs> that's another story. So if I can repeat back what I think I heard you just say, the best tip is to say, to tell them that they're wrong. And mm -hmm. that's what I heard. <laughs> oh God, is that no. what I said? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think, no, I think. I'm stumped again. Well, I think active listening is like a common tip, but the nuance of it, of like repeat, actually repeating what they said. Oh, I mean, and repeating honestly what you heard them say is good because it helps highlight the gaps between, because we add our own stuff on top of what they've said and they're like, no, 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 actually I, I didn't, I didn't actually just say that when you're really activated and you're really like angry at a loved one or something. And how do you employ this when you get it right? Well, I have to go through this a lot because my daughter is very quick tempered and I have to respond. I can make it, get much, much worse, or I can make it, I, I can't always diffuse it, but I can just say, you know, you'll yell, mom, you never listen to me. And I'll say, well, I hear you on that. And I, I want to do better. So tell me, what can I do? Or sometimes I'll say, well, I am listening at the same time. You just witnessed me get a call from my father who has something going on. And so I have to interrupt what we're doing for a moment to talk with him. And so it's like that switching gears kind of thing and explaining. And then usually she'll get it a little bit better instead of just being like, could you just hold on because I got this call. But like, listen, your grandfather needs some help right now. I hear that you're upset and we will get back to this and we will address it. But right now, the other morning, she was talking to me, but she saw that I was answering a work email and she's like, you never listen. And I said, you know, I actually do listen, but you see I'm engaged and I can't just follow you around doing nothing all the time so I don't miss a word. And that might sound sarcastic, but I didn't mean it that way. I meant it like you have to accept that we all have our own autonomy and sometimes I'm going to be engaged in something else. It reminds me of two of my favorite areas of listening activity is one, it's like the steel man. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the steel man. Mm -hmm. Steelman is essentially repeating back what someone said in their words, not your own, to demonstrate that you heard what they said. And even if you got it wrong, it's a demonstration that you're trying to not ascribe your own beliefs and opinions and do all of that stuff. And you're, you're trying to seek clarity to make sure that that you understand what they're saying. You may not understand them, but at least you understand what they're saying, they're listening, and then they're way more likely to give you that, that platform back. And the other thing, in, and I think about this a lot, because I don't think context is necessary to give compassion, but context is a great way to get people out of an activated state. 
because of all of our own assumptions. And sometimes our ego, it's like, you don't need me to give you context. I do not need to explain myself to you. However, if we want to diffuse this situation, context is, it matters to the other person because then it just gives them more detail to remove their own assumptions. And I'm curious, so you talk about that with a loved one and you've been building this podcast, you've been talking a lot about allyship and anti-racism. How do you manage that when talking to someone who you disagree with? Oh, I'm awful at that. I just want to punch him in the face. Like I'll say <laughs> it right up front. I am terrible at it. Thank so, you for being honest about that. Oh, yeah. I think I most know. of us are. Yeah. But we won't say yeah. it. Oh, no. I just like. So my co-creator and co-host, Sunny, who is a black woman, she will tell me if you get upset all the time, you're, it's just going to be this constant state of upsetness. And as a, as a woman of color, I can't live like that. So you have to find ways to not always get so upset. Not that you're not upset, but that, you know what I mean? But it's like, I can just be like, but also I'm not going to be called an angry black woman, right? So I can tell somebody off. And so there's this whole level that I had to think about. But someone who's really helped me is Dr. David Camp. He has this, it's called the race method. And it, it really kind of helps you to try to connect with that person with something. It doesn't even have to be about race, but something so they feel like, okay, this person isn't just out to attack me. Like, oh, I love Labradors too. Or, you know, I love, or, or I, I, there was a time where I was scared of that, uh, you know, blah, 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 or, or this Chihuahua or whatever. I'm not going to say pit bulls because they're very sweet, but I'm not going to spread that rumor here. And then just sort of build up and then say, okay, so tell me again where you're coming from. Why do you feel this way? Why do you have this view? Whereas I'm just like, you're a racist piece of shit. Get out of my house. Like I've done that to someone because and the only reason they were over is because my daughter is friends with them or their daughter. And I was trying to have a positive person in their life who isn't a racist piece of shit. But I got to the point where I'm like, she can stay, but you've got to. My husband would leave when he would come over. I'm like, you can't stay in our home. Like, go. So, yeah, I don't have the most patience. So it's it's interesting that I'm doing this show where I'm learning too to find that patience. But I find it very difficult. But you still get a ton of great information, <laughs> even if I'm a hothead. No, I, it's funny because like I, I have this conversation a lot with with people, and there is very much a sentiment of impatience with others because of our prescribed beliefs about someone saying CRT. Well, then they are everything that I know that there is to be because they just said those three letters, and it's hard. Like it, it really is hard, especially now where we have so many echo chambers, right? Which okay. is funny because like I'm an engineer and when I first hear CRT, the first thing I think of is cathode ray tube. <laughs> like I, I don't think critical yeah. race theory when I first hear it. <laughs> and it's hard and I, and I think there's, I mean, there's such opportunity for, for many of us, even us. Like we we're, we're having this conversation a week ago where we are hearing about a conversation that we are going to moderate. And I am just all sorts of triggered about it. Just fired up inside, just burning with the desire to just be like, this is nonsense. I can't, you know, this is ridiculous. And, and navigating that and being aware of that, it's really, it's not easy. It's not easy yeah, to manage really those hard. emotions. And I feel really badly because, oh, I'm sorry, I just wanted to say, because I didn't want to give up 
on this family, but the, so it's just, this is a guy and then he lives with his mother and he has a 11 year old daughter and her mom had passed away when she was around five. And unfortunately this guy got his mother into all the conspiracy theories. Like there was no Trump supporters at the insurrection. I mean, just when it got to that point, I was like, you know what? I just got to cut them off. Cause my daughter's like, I don't want to be around that. And I don't want them even dropping around. And, and it, I feel badly because I'm like, great. Now this girl is left with these horrible people. But thank God she's not homeschooled, at least. So she is out in the world. And I talked to her uncle who said, I think she knows that they're nuts. But there's a point where I'm like, I just I can't if they're that off the rails, I just I can't I can't do it. Yeah. And we all have our lines, right? Like we all have our lines. And I, I think we're just more quick, like where you're going, like that's, that's on the extreme end. Yeah. There's so right. That can be hard for, because where are you going to get to a common point? Because what you hope in those situations is that you're both giving each other space and it's not just for you to give them space. It is to, to have a connection. It's for them to give you space too. And that can break that down so easily. But I think we're also super quick to draw those lines because we think everybody is like that individual. Right. Right. Yeah. You had made a point earlier about, oh, I don't even know if I want to go back there. So on this, I kind of want to dig into this because this is, this is the topic of the country right now. Like unfriending, like I, we're done. I'm done with you. You're done with me. And I do think I actually kind of have a high tolerance towards people who have what some would say outlandish views. You have a, an above high tolerance. Yes. You got to give me some of that. I, I have an, yeah. a no tolerance. You have an above well, high tolerance. But <laughs> I think back to Sonny, like some of it has to do because I'm a black dude in America and like I got to survive. So I can't fly off the rails at everything. And so I might as well be curious about it and learn it. Like the more it's kind of the... I don't know if it was Sun Tzu or whomever, but keep your enemies close. Like, I got to know what people are thinking. So I might as well just ask. And and then I can just, you know, they're maybe they're not in my inner circle, but it's just like. A, that's, you know, that's something I had this guy. I have this conversation with my wife all the time. And she says, you know, I'll be honest. If someone has a Trump sign in their yard and I'm probably not going to want to be friends with them. And like. I always say you don't have to be, but it doesn't mean we can't engage or have conversation because the more we alienate, and this is why QAnon exists. These people who are QAnon, people who are incels, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the incelibate movement. Yeah. They feel so alienated their entire life that they find these groups that just accept them for who they are. So it doesn't matter. And so the more we alienate people, the more we create these boxes and these divisions and the more hostile it gets, us versus them becomes more real. Violence starts to happen. We see January 6th and hell, there's a rally tomorrow. Who the hell knows what's going to happen then since we're recording this on September 17th, right? I was just going to say, no, I mean, if, if I don't know anybody, but if other than him, but if I did, I would be civil, but there's certainly pre-COVID times, not coming over for dinner. I'm not going no, to take no. precious time away yeah. from people I love to spend time with some Trump supporters. That's, that's fair. Right, that's just reality. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's another piece of it. Like, that's just been life. I probably 
only know a handful or well, more than a handful of like the diehard racists I've known in my life. Like it's just get, getting along to get along is the name of the game. So it's kind of just I got to do what I got to do. On the groups thing, it's interesting because like so on the Trump, like I'll take Trump, Biden, or Trump, Hillary. It's interesting because like I don't like Trump, but I don't agree with everything with Hillary or Biden. So like or people who support like I don't get along with all of them. But I even for me, there's like this switch that says like, yeah, but I would prefer to not talk to them if I don't have to. It's this othering that's unnecessary, really, because I've had wonderful conversations with Trump supporters and I've had horrible conversations with Biden supporters. Where it's just like, yo, bro, you got to calm down. Yeah. Like I could actually hang out with you again. Like, cause I, I think you have some interesting things to say, even though you voted for, for this guy. And then on the other side, it's like, I really want nothing to do with you anymore because you're intolerable. Right. But we think alike. So at least on some issues or whatever the case may be. Keith mentioned you're into anti-racism. I mean, that's just the way I was marinated. See, I was marinated in people, my grandparents, not getting and doing white flight in the 1950s in Chicago when the couple black, one black family moved in, all the whites left, and then more and more black families moved in and they stayed and that was their community and those were their friends. That's on my dad's side. And he was also raised to be as well. And I guess what they call anti-racist nowadays, I think there's more to it, but at least like we're all people, we're all equal. This racism is wrong and evil. And especially as Jews as well, it was part of it. Like we've experienced anti-Semitism. And I mean, my mom had rocks thrown at her as a little girl and the pogroms from my great grandparents coming over from Europe and like the whole thing. So there's this sense of like, this is bull. This is all ridiculous, like fucking bullshit. And we're not doing it. And then on my mom's side, uh, they grew up in the Bronx and they had a lot of friends of, of color. I mean, that was just the way it was. And in college, my mom had a black boyfriend and she actually broke up with them because he didn't like Asian people. <laughs> She's like, I can't go out with you. You don't like Asians. You know, it was like this whole thing. But and my grandparents were fine. So that's just the way I was raised. That's the way I raised my daughter. And my husband shared those same values. He's half Jewish, half Irish. And if he didn't, we wouldn't be married. Like I get into it very quickly with people. I bring these issues up very quickly with people because I want to know where they stand and, and what they think. So yeah, but that's, I mean, and so the whole show with Active Allyship is more than a hashtag is basically that, like, don't retweet, you know, Black Lives Matter and think you've, you've done anything, right? You've got to get out there. And if you hear something, you always, you have to speak up no matter what. You always do. You just do. And I always have. And that's something that is so important to me. Now I only surround myself with people who share my values. So I don't have those difficult conversations very often. And maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe I need to be out because if I'm if you're already speaking to the choir, right? But at the same time, I, I get so angry. And so I have to work on that. Like I said, Dr. Camps helped me. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of going in a circle, but it's just I'm still a work in progress. We'll put it that way, but I'm passionate about it. So on that like train, cause I think this is interesting, right? The, the development of echo chambers, which makes us feel like, oh, we can make some steps in some of these groups as well, maybe, but at the same time, those aren't necessarily the steps that need to be made. And so what has this path? We hear allyship, how we do corporate consulting, right? And allyship is a thing in the corporate space. Got to be an ally. 
what has that meant to you, especially since you started this podcast? I think there's too many like performative allies. And I know some people don't like the word allyship. They prefer co-conspirator. There's a couple others I don't remember. And I was talking with Sunny, like, should we change the name of the show? She's like, no. If they listen to the show, they get what we're trying to say, right? It doesn't matter what word we use. But some people get turned up. They'll get hung up on the word. Yeah. They get hung up on the word. Well, listen to what we're talking about. We're talking about equity. We're talking about equality. We're talking about ending racism. We're talking about social justice. We're talking about getting these health disparities, housing disparities. I mean, there's so much going on. If you want to get a hung up on allyship, we're just trying to say, be a human, like be a human person. So for me, it's just, nothing's really changed with the podcast because I've been doing this since I was a kid. I, I remember in sixth grade, there was a girl that came from India and I was the only person who went and talked to her. Now, granted, this was 1978, so I'm still not that that's an excuse, but just aging myself here. But at any rate, I was the only girl who talked to her and this kid, Gary, I know his last name, I'm not going to say it. He was making fun of her. And I was like, you know what, Gary, you're a racist. Why don't you learn something and stop being such an ass? And he's like, well, you're a bitch and a half. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Hey, <laughs> Fine. You got one and a half of I, you. I, I'm not, at least, listen, at least I'm not racist. I'll be a bitch and a half any day. And I remembered that like so many years because it, it just was so ridiculous. Like that's his response instead of being like, oh, maybe I should look at myself or, you know, not that I expect an 11 year old to do that back then. But I, I wish they would. But a lot of that's on their parents, the culture, the society, you know, the whole thing. So can we dig in on that? So locally, I live in a very white neighborhood and we have a social justice group and just a bunch of white, white. people in an echo chamber who you know, talk <laughs> about things that they could do. <laughs> and, you know, I find it to be an interesting exploration of a certain mindset from my vantage point. And they're really good people like them. But last night we were talking about the promotion of masculinity because we're talking about LGBTQA right now and the just the social constructs of masculinity and femininity and raising boys versus raising girls and this idea that so one of the parents that there's a show called Eleanor I'll give some half backstory here and she had this like glitter unicorn shirt that her son was like I love that I want it and her instant reaction was, I don't want to get that for you because I don't want you to be teased. To which I believe that I will get that for you. And if you are teased, we will address that separately, right? Absolutely. Because their additional point, which I get, it's like protecting your kid from the harm and dangers and the awfulness of the world, especially when they're six years old and you don't want them to experience that because you want to maintain their innocence. I, I understand that point of view, but I also think like you really get to a sense of your kid and how they are going to react and respond and be. And what you just said, you were 11 and you were you were in that space, but your personality, the, the way you were raised, the environment said, no, I don't care if this exists. I'm going to speak up. I think you know that protective parenting mentality might be a, con a contributor to a lack of allyship because we want to protect and, and save instead of be out there. What was your environment like? Long way to get there, but what was your environment like? 
to promote your ability to do that. Well, you know, the, the odd thing is that, I mean, my parents are complicated, like so many parents. My mother was chronically ill. My dad was, he was an ophthalmologist with his own practice. He was an actor and singer in, in local theater. He was a president of the school board trying to make things better. Uh, he was a marathon runner and his wife was chronically ill and he was trying to help do good things in the world. And that's great, but we needed him at home too. And so it's like, they, they weren't the best parents on like a day-to-day -day level. Like my mom just felt sick a lot and we had to take care of her and he was out doing his thing. But the values they taught us very young really stuck with me. I was actually painfully shy as a kid. I didn't have a lot of confidence. And but when it came to racism, it didn't like it didn't matter. I think Gary was kind of shocked, to be honest. He, I don't think he'd ever heard me talk before. Most kids in elementary school probably were shocked when I said a word. I was really it's hard to believe because now I talk all the time, but I was very insecure. My mother and brother fought all the time. It was like constantly. And so my, I thought, well, if I'm just quiet, I can just kind of get under the radar. She won't yell at me and I'll just kind of be her favorite and I'll just take care of her and do what she wants, which is very unhealthy, but that's a whole nother topic. But those values were so, so instilled in me that it didn't matter like that I was shy. You're, I'm not going to, you said something, you're going to be an asshole to someone because their skin color, then I'm going to say something. You know, I, I gained my confidence once I was in high school and especially in college. But yeah, the early years, I mean, I remember in second grade, they used to call me cherry face because the teacher called on me. I would turn bright red like in a second. And public speaking was my nightmare, my absolute. And I, I still remember in second grade, we had to make a volcano and give this speech. And I remember I had written down these note cards. And Jeff Bagnell, I'm going to say his name. He actually, we actually became friends in high school, but he came up to me and he was like, Lisa, you're using note cards. Nobody's using note cards. And I don't know if he was, now I think he was screwing with me because I was an easy target. When you're an awkward, quiet kid, you get picked on. So I threw away the note cards. Every freaking kid in that class used note cards. I stood up there and I was like, uh, vol volcano? But if someone says something racist, I'd be like, let me tell you something. <laughs> well, but yeah, that was a terrible moment. Don't listen to other kids who tell you to throw away your note cards. Well, I, I want to carry this forward just because I'm I, in my mind. Like, how did you then gain the confidence in high school? Where did that come from? To because I think as parents, and I, I more context because we are parents of young kids, and I will say this from personal experience we are myopic in the stage of life that they're in, right? So there's an often feeling like, hey, if they are this now, they're going to be this later, so make sure they're this now, and you know, managing that, and yet at the same time. It really is instilling values and it's instilling ways of thinking because their brain is developing. So it's just gonna go through different stages and phases. So whoever they are, let them be, but teach them along the way. How did that come? Because I think it's just a great example of like, yeah, just because your kid's shy doesn't mean they're not going to be confident. They're not going to be successful just because they're, they're shy and getting picked on doesn't mean they can't get picked on because they can stand up for themselves. Like what was that journey? It's so interesting too, because I couldn't stick up in elementary school. I couldn't stick up for myself. Just other people. 
pillar just, of yeah. different color. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could not say for myself at all. I think what it was is when you get labeled as a loser, like I was, re- I wasn't only uncoordinated. I was like so bad at anything athletic that not only did I get, did I get picked last for team sports, they fought over who got stuck with me. Oh, we don't want Lisa. You guys, <laughs> that happens from kindergarten to sixth grade. You're Lisa, and then tough. you go home and everyone's fighting and yelling and your mom doesn't feel well and you have to do all yeah. this support. It was just a nightmare. Yeah. That's a lot. I think it was by high school. There's, there's kids from different, all different schools, even by junior high, I felt a little bit better because those kids that can still be like, Oh, that Lisa Kroll, that's my maiden name. Oh, she's such a loser. Well, by mid, by junior high, you've got, you're in a school with like five other elementary schools. Cause back then it was seventh and eighth grade. So new people and new people. And I kind of had a little more confidence. So I made new friends. I always had the same two best friends, Cindy and Colleen, but I made new friends. And then by high school, again, it just sort of like furthering away from those people and just sort of finding my own people who were, who, who got me. And by senior year, I was just like, all you know, I was, I would, I've never been popular, but I had a, a pretty good group of friends. Like I had my main best friends, but then I found these other two girls and we ended up doing a ton of stuff together. I never had a boyfriend though. Guys were like, just, I don't know what it was, but <laughs> I could not get a boyfriend just to save my life. But it's probably better because I probably, who knows what I would have done. <laughs> yeah. So I guess continue it then to so gaining confidence, hating public speaking, then going a lot further along being like, you do a lot of public speaking. I do. I love it. Love it. Now I fucking love it. You can put me a million people and I'd be thrilled. It's crazy, right? What changed? I think, well, college really changed because getting away from my family and the fighting and my mom being ill. And I, I don't know. I remember it's funny, too, because my best friend, Cindy, from high school, we've been friends. We still are since we were five. That's cool. Yeah, she came to visit me at college and like people are hanging out their windows all over the quads. Lisa, she's like, what the hell? Like, I mean, I, like I said, I, w- I had more confidence in high school and as it went on and I had more friends, but it wasn't like that. But in college, I mean, I just was completely like I have I am I am free from the responsibility of having to take care of my mother and the fighting and the drama. And I can just be me and and be what I really have always felt inside, I think, but was just never had the confidence to show, which is very chatty, very open, very huggy, you know, just kind of the way I am now. Yeah, it was it was a shock to a lot of people like at the high school reunion. They're like, oh, OK, I remember you talked a little. And then especially the people from elementary school were like, OK, that lease is different. And my husband's still like, "Hun, stop trying to prove to people that you've changed and this and that. And <laughs> like, I know it's an old habit, you know. Oh, how are our early stage? Uh... Yeah traumas and pains uh, yeah and then you see uh, your kid going through it and that that's a whole another issue yeah. let's pause right here we're gonna come back at you in a little bit in the meantime practice some self-compassion or maybe compassion towards others and have a fantastic rest of your day peace Thank you.